welcome once again to Totally Pro League. It's episode number 12. Oh, it's getting closer. That last weekend in June, things are starting up hotter in the Pro League. And joining me this week to talk all the latest Pro League action from South Africa, it's our good friend at the Reverse Stick, Tyron Barnard. Tyron, welcome. Yeah, have a... How's, how's the game day today? Uh, it's, well, actually, it's been a great day because uh, I've been down to the Perth Hockey Stadium watching uh, India play a local, our local state team. So we've got a bit of hockey magic in town at the moment. Beautiful, beautiful. We uh, we have election day here in South Africa, so uh, straight off the recording, I'll be uh, off to the voting stations to cast my vote. Uh, you got your pencil sharpened? Pencil sharpened, extra pencil in the socks. I don't know if that's legal, but... <laughs> Do you guys still vote well on a piece of paper with a pencil? Well, we did five years ago, so I think we do. That's democracy do. in action, I, mate. That is democracy. I think, I think it's a pen. I think it's a pen, so... Ah, uh, okay. Look, <laughs> bit of paper, a pencil, put a cross on it, in the box, the cardboard box, off you go. Yeah, a cardboard box that someone will then drive around. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds completely free and fair. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, something that's uh, exciting. I don't know if it's free. It shouldn't be free. You should have to pay to get into the Pro League. And it's been <laughs> bloody exciting. And I'll tell you what, we had some really interesting results across the last week, Tyron. Let's start with the uh, first game of the last week, which was between Germany and the United States. It was Hockey Park in Mugengladbach. Keely Dunn will correct me if I'm wrong there. Uh, 19.30, 7.30pm it got underway. Germany and the US, and uh, this was uh, a game that I thought could really get away from the US. I thought they'd been very good without much luck in their home games, uh, heading off across the Atlantic, and it was primed, I thought, for Germany to really stamp their authority on this competition. They did get away with a win, but a very lucky 2-1 win after taking the lead in the 11th minute. They held that lead all the way through until the 45th minute, right on three-quarter time, where the US scored to tie it all up at one all. And then in the 53rd minute, number four, uh, Nicky Lorenz managed to put in a penalty stroke to uh, give Germany the lead, which they held on to the end of the game. Tyron, I don't know what how much you've seen of the United States. Uh, they're plucky. They try real hard. Just a little bit of class missing, you'd have to say. Yeah. You know, they... So I watched them quite a lot when they were here in South Africa for the FRH World League semi-finals uh, in 2017. And they were pretty far along in a program, but, you know, for just the amount of time that they, they spend together, they just seem to make the kind of errors or the, the maybe errors is the wrong word, but the decision-making on the field just lacks that hockey experience that, that shows that hockey is really uh, in their blood. I mean, if, if you see the first goal, the way it was conceded, it was just really poor defending, and nobody reacted to a loose ball. Uh, that allowed um, Germany to take the lead. Yeah, in the 11th minute, and it was scored by number 11, um, yeah. L- uh, Lena Michel. Michel um, and, yeah, I, I, even the, the penalty stroke was a result of some average defending, you'd have to say. I mean, a stroke's always a bit of bad luck, but 
there was things they could have done to have avoided that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, in truth, for much of that game, they were the, the second best side. Uh, I think Germany may be highly frustrated by their inability to take their chances earlier on, especially in that first half. They really had a lot. Um, but yeah, then I, I think uh, once again, the class of Germany, the weight of pressure probably forced the error from the Americans and got them the, the stroke. And, you know, um, a team like Germany aren't going to say no when you offer them a, a chance to win a game. Now, that game was played, if I could just click on to my calendar here, uh, last Wednesday. Uh, was it? No, last, last, last Tuesday evening. Um, so it's over a week ago now as we're recording. Uh, the, the next game came along on uh, the Friday, and it was Great Britain versus China at the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre in London. Uh, one of the reasons to look forward to the Great Britain games, especially the home games, is knowing there's going to be a crowd there and it's going to be an exciting atmosphere. And, gee, they got dished up a game too, didn't they, Tyron? Um, <laughs> surprisingly, China winning in the end 2-1. All the damage came in the third quarter. Uh, nil all at half time. It was 2-1 to China at the end of the third period and that was a full-time score. And I know you were lucky enough to click on the TV at the right time too. Yeah, I managed to uh, actually get on at the start of the second half. Um, and, uh, yeah, this was another one of those games where, you know, Great Britain ranked second in the world versus the team ranked 10th, playing at home in front of a, a vociferous crowd. You're really expecting them to to probably get the win and, and probably run away from it a little bit. But, uh, yeah, the, the third uh, quarter opened up quite interesting. I mean, it was actually all Great Britain. Tessa Howard had a, an absolutely cracking shot. And uh, excuse my pronunciation of any other Chinese players' names, but Yi Zhao in the goals, she made a really good save. And just a minute after that, they went up the other side and... Uh, uh, the Chinese lady whose name I can never pronounce, but it's her first Ooh. name is Oh. Yeah. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, they managed to, uh, to 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 give them the lead, and yeah, it was it was again probably a story of the pro league for um, um, for Great Britain. You know, they've only managed to get is it one win I think from their their eight games so far. Uh, yeah, I've got the tables uh, here. One win from eight games, and they really yeah. are a much better side than what we've seen. Um, and in truth, I mean, China sit below them on the table because of the complicated percentage ruling, but uh, this was China's third win. And I think the way we could characterize the, the Chinese performance is they really are plucky. Once again, they don't have the, uh, the hockey pedigree that Great Britain might have. But uh, they're more than holding their own. I think probably their biggest thing, and, and that's why they'll be happy about this game, is just the ease at which they concede goals is is a bit alarming throughout the tournament. Yeah, and it's it's funny because I I really do rate the Chinese goalkeepers. I think their goalies are, are very, very good. But um, a goalie can only be as good as the defence in front of them as well. Sooner or later, it doesn't matter how good you are, they're going to go in. Mm, no, absolutely, and... Yeah, you know, I mean, even in this game, I think I had, I was looking at the stats earlier. Um, you know, in the the total game, something like shots on target was ten to Great Britain, five to five to China. Yeah, you can't you can't leave your keeper having to bail you out time and time again. 
you know you need to be bringing a little bit uh, a little bit more to the game and yeah defensively they're still lacking but they've been a really a breath of fresh air and, and a different team uh, for the pro league in its first year and as much as they may have some issues at the back, up front, they have a very healthy conversion rate. They don't need many chances to score goals. And I think you see that in the men's team as well. You know, give them three or four chances. There's every, cha- there's every likelihood that they will score a goal against you. Well, and, and if you compare, I think it's only... Um, I think it, they're even currently scoring more goals per per game than everyone other than the top four on average. So yeah. so they're getting the goals and obviously, you know, their twelve games have produced almost fifty goals, so they definitely seem to be the team to watch alongside New Zealand from an entertainment point of view. Um but yeah, you you know, you can't always work on the, the methodology as a coach of we'll score more goals than you. Uh just it's hard to score more than five or six because at some point you've got to defend. Well, let's move on to the Saturday now, Tyron, and it's a, it was a game I was really looking forward to, especially considering their first clash in the Pro League this year. It was Great Britain versus Spain, Great Britain's home game at the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre. Uh, midday was the uh, official start time for the game. I'm not sure if that affects crowd numbers or not. It didn't appear to. Maybe it's just a different sort of crowd that's turning up at midday than at 7.30pm. But yeah. look, a, a game that promised a lot... It it showed up some really good qualities of hockey, but I don't know that it was a necessarily entertaining game. Uh, it finished one all after full time, and when you consider, I think the last time they played it was a five four scoreline. Um, five might have been six four. Six five. Six five. That's the goals yeah. going in all over the place. Um, so they ended up in the shootout, which, guess who won that? Spain, of course. <laughs> we just write them in now. From now on, just if it gets to a shootout, write Spain down. Um, and Cortez, you know, geez, is he the best shootout keeper in the world? Well, he may very well be, um, but probably for one of the few times in... Uh in the Pro League so far, it's it's maybe not him that was the hero as much as uh, Great Britain strikers that were were a little bit more the villains. I mean, I think it was uh, Harry Martin and Alan Forsyth who both missed what on any other day would probably be a fairly fairly uh, standard conversion from from the the shootout. And yeah, I think this game maybe disappointed a little bit for me because of the opening game. Uh, you know, you were 11 goals in their first match. You expected a, a free-flowing kind of game, but it was more of a, a error-ridden tactical uh, challenge. And, you know, when Spain scored, I think, if if I'm correct, they scored right in the first minute. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. With uh, Cremada. You know, it was... Another one. It was probably... <laughs> yeah, listen, the... the the, the names also. <laughs> well, why I like watching Great Britain is I can pronounce most of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, when that early goal went in, I thought, sure, maybe we're in for another cracker. And it just, it was a game that never really lived up to its potential. Um, it was definitely good seeing the crowd there, but I really expected the crowd to, to bring a little bit more out of Great Britain. And I don't know, we didn't really see that. Um, yeah. I, and, uh, yeah, I think uh, Spain will be frustrated because this is 
I mean, I was actually quite astounded when I when I looked at it earlier that they've now played ten and have not won one. No. But they have had five shootouts and won every shootout. Yeah, that's I mean, not going to get insane. them into the finals, though. No, no. They, they've probably already sitting too far back, especially yep. with the the class of Belgium still to play catch-up. Uh, you know, Great Britain will probably be frustrated that that was... That, for them, was probably one of those games that they looked at the the schedule and said, yep, this is one that we take the three points and gets us closer to the, the grand finals. So Danny Kerry and his team will be probably pretty bleak that they only got one from this. I think the game suffered by the fact that Spain scored so early in that first minute and, and it meant Great Britain probably had to rethink the way they were going about it slightly. Even even if they didn't do it consciously, I think unconsciously in the player's head, that sort of stuff happens. If Great Britain had a scored first, I think it would have... Spain are more up to the challenge of a chase than I think Great Britain are. They're more like the team that's going to work at it slowly over the, over the game. Whereas Spain are more likely to just go bang and score three goals in ten minutes and change the complexion completely. But, uh, yeah. you know, one thing too about Pau Kamada, is that the second or third goal I think he's pitched off his teammates this year? Because I reckon that one was going in <laughs> just quietly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a pity Matt isn't on the line because uh, I think, uh, isn't that something Matt's quite famous for doing? Of the seagull. Pinching goals from his teammates. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's very good at that. He knows how to stand <laughs> on the inside of the post. So it's got to hit him before it goes in. <laughs> no, very clever at so, that. I mean, the first goal I ever scored playing school hockey, I was a defender and uh, I pushed in the short corners. So I wasn't really ever in a position to score a goal. And I stayed up after a short corner and I also did the same. There was a ball going into the uh, bottom left corner. And it was definitely going in. <laughs> and there was no way I was going to pass the opportunity. You know, you, you have to make absolute certain that uh, you finish it off. Yeah, if you stuff that one up, it's really <laughs> yeah. get the wallet out. You're going straight to the bar after the game. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the other thing that uh, that also struck me was there was a, a very late uh, equaliser for. Um, Oh, for uh, for Great Britain. Yeah. Ach, not equaliser, winner, winner, they thought. And uh, it went up to VAR, to TMO. Sorry, I was watching Champions League again. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah and yes, I don't know. It looked like it was stopped on the line. It could have just been outside. And look, obviously the goal was uh, crossed off and it went to shootouts. But uh, in fairness, Great Britain didn't complain too much. But I wasn't convinced, based on the cameras that I'd seen, and sorry, Keely, if you're listening, that it was 100% clear. No, I, once again, based on the vision we saw, I thought it was okay. I thought it bounced back off the stick slightly. Mm. And it was hard to tell from the angles we were shown, but the umpires are getting other angles. They're getting other vision that we're not getting to see. So this is a strange one though. Yeah. Why, why not give those visions to the public? Because um, you know, it, yeah, it left I'd... a debatable taste. Yeah, and look, there was one in the Australia-Argentina game. We'll get to that very shortly. Um, but first of all, though, we've got to get to the. Uh, we'll get through. It. Oh, one more notable thing from that game, just quickly, Tyron. Twenty-eight circle entries to Great Britain, seven to Spain. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> that, that wouldn't be pleasing for them at all. No, I, I think Danny will look at this game. And, uh, again, I think, as, as I said, I think this is very much one of those games that go away. I think if you look at the conversion, um, Spain, seven circle entries, three shots. Um, yeah. Great Britain, 27 and only seven. And they had seven penalty corners and they only managed seven shots at goal. Yeah, that's, that's pretty poor attacking play from the team that was heavily fancied. Yeah. Let's move on to Sunday's games now, both down at Sanad in Buenos Aires, and it was Australia versus Argentina, both the men and women in action there. Uh, the women got things underway at 4pm local time, and, uh, well, gee, it it wasn't the game I was expecting, that's for sure. Uh, a one-all draw, uh, Australia scored first in... Uh, it was the second minute of the game, much like Spain had scored mm. against Great Britain, a little bit against what people's perceptions of how this game might go. Uh, and Argentina getting back a goal in the 18th minute to leave it all tied up at half-time. Then it was just a, a slug-out for the second half. Uh, the game finished at a one-all draw. Neither team... I think on, on balance, Argentina probably had more of the play and perhaps looked more threatening in attack, but Australia certainly had its moments, and uh, probably a one-all draw was a, a correct result for that game. Um, and once again, Australia know how to pull it out against the big teams, your Argentina and your Holland. It's the lesser teams they seem to struggle with. Yeah, I, I thought Australia were really good value. I think uh, they lost the home game 3-1, if I'm yeah. correct. Uh, yeah. When yeah, so 3-1. They weren't favoured there, and they went out and gave a really resolute uh, performance. And, you know, in truth, the uh, Netherlands may have had the better chances, but I think the best chance probably fell to uh, Sophie Taylor out there at the end. Um, yeah. Uh, when her, her flick was was uh, was kept out. Um, I mean, also, obviously, we have to say uh, congrats to Brooke Paris for her 150th cap. Um, but, yeah, I really think Australia got their... Their tactics right, and yeah, it's it's interesting you say that because <coughs> excuse me, if if I look back at it, yeah, I think I've seen the same. I think Australia really do get their backs up for the big games, um, and it's about getting getting things right for the, the the lesser games. So you know, on Saturday they play USA. Can they can they bring the same level of performance for that game? That's going to be the test. Uh, absolutely, and, and it's three points they need. I mean, um, I think they're sitting in fourth place at the moment. We'll get to the table soon. But, mm. um, you know, they've played all their home games. Everything's on the road now, and these are going to be really, really hard games if they can just keep picking up the odd point here and there and snatching the, a win. You know, they, they're going to be around the place come the end of the end of the, the rounds, round robin, so to speak. Um, yeah, it's in their hands, really. Oh, yeah, it really is. Um, look, I think I think there's a, a good squad there, um, but again, they need to they need to really take advantage of uh, of the games where they are in the lead and the games where they have the big chances. Because you know, they if Sophie Taylor scores that that opportunity at the end, all of a sudden you're looking at a three points return rather than a one point return in Argentina, which yeah. most teams aren't going to do. Yeah. Um, 
You know, and that, that could be their route into the grand finals. Okay, the last game for the week. It's once again Australia versus Argentina. This time the men in action once again in Sanad and uh, at Sanad in Buenos Aires. They got underway at 6.30pm. Gee, hockey looks great under lights, doesn't it? Ah, oh, fantastic. I think it's something in the future um, fixturing of the uh, Pro League. The FIH has got to look at as many as possible games under lights at night. Oh, you know, no, it's probably a unavoidable the, the occasional day game but as a television spectacle night time is just fantastic it just looks so much better the the ball is actually easier to see on an astro at night yep. for the television viewer um, and look obviously uh, I sit on a, a similar time zone to Europe so if they're playing games at the night in at night time in Argentina that's probably my my biggest challenge it's just how late I need to stay up. But um yeah, I do I do agree. I think uh maybe if the Argentinian, the South American and American games could be played uh, in the morning and all the rest at night that would suit me personally the most. Yeah, like three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that that'd be great. Yeah, that could still be under flood laps. <laughs> yeah. That would suit me too. I wouldn't mind that either. We I think it's about twelve or fourteen hours between us and Buenos Aires. It's uh it's not a great time slot, but um, you know, it's a sacrifice we have to make. Let's get back to the game, shall we? <laughs> and well, an intriguing game. Um Argentina have been workmanlike, you'd have to say, at times during this tournament without being outstanding. Australia had been pretty good. I think they'd won five on the trot leading into this game. And uh, it, it, early early doors, it looked like it was a repeat of the, uh, the first meeting where Australia were just going to take a lead. Argentina couldn't get back. Um, but they couldn't press home their chances. They led 1-0 at half-time. Thanks to a, a goal from number 13, Blake Glovers. Um, just putting another notch in the old goal scoring sheet there, Blake. He's, he just comes up with them regularly. Um, and then they extended their lead in the 40th minute to take a 2-0 lead at the three-quarter time. And that was through number three, Corey Weyer, who we actually noticed in the stands today at watching the Indians play, it must be said. And, uh, but, <laughs> You always got the feeling there was at least one goal in Argentina and that could change everything. They pulled the goal back in the 52nd minute, uh, thanks to Maceo Casella. But from there, couldn't find that killer blow. And once again, it was almost like Australia left themselves open to be beaten if the opposition's good enough to take their chances. And it's something they've got to get out of their game. They could have been three or four up at that stage, but they, they didn't take their chances and... Left it open, left the door open. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, it would be we must not to also mention the fact that uh, the Argentina actually equalised at one nil down with another one that was disallowed for not leaving the D and the game. Based on the visuals we saw, I thought it was a a tough call. Um, I thought they got that one said, closer to right than the other one. Agreed, but I just it still wasn't enough, was it? <laughs> good visuals, no. I, there was there was the one camera angle that they showed that just crossed so much doubt. Yeah. Um, and then they showed the others, and I was like, yes, okay, it's right, but you know, which camera angle is correct, or <laughs> is one camera angle lying? So, yeah, I don't think it was as uh, as controversial, and also 
bearing where it happened and when it happened in the game, I don't think it directly affected the result as it would have for, for Great Britain happening in the last minute. Yeah. I do think that the opening goal uh, by Gavis, uh, yeah, I really don't think um, that uh, Vivaldi and goals uh, will be happy with that one. I think he went down very slowly. Uh, not taking anything away from Blake. I think he... He had a good penalty corner, but uh, yeah, I think Vivaldi, if he watches that again, he'll be frustrated with uh, with his movements. Um, yeah, and, and as you say, I always felt in this game that Australia were in control. Um, you know, obviously watching more as a neutral, I, I, I never felt like they were going to lose this game. But they never went and actually took this game by the scruff of a neck and said they're going to win it. And no. yeah, I mean, obviously six or seven wins now on the trot, or seven undefeated and at the top of the table. But yeah, they don't look unbeatable at this point. No, they don't look unbeatable, and now the tough road lies ahead. Um, they've, they've done the hard work early. They've got the points in the bank, which is always, always important. Uh, other teams are going to have to chase them, and and. Uh, it, I think they'll still make the finals. They're going to pick up enough games in, in Europe to enough points to, to keep them in the top four. I don't think they're going to finish top though. Um, you know, they, they, they are the kind of team that will uh, produce results when you don't expect it. So yeah, maybe not top. I I don't know. I think Belgium's schedule is going to make it really tough for them. Um, yeah. And I just don't think we're seeing enough from Great Britain right now. So you have to cast your eyes down to the Netherlands, who are the most likely to challenge. And I think Australia have points on the board. I'd much rather have points on the board than trying to make it up. You're with Totally Pro League. And you're also with Tyron. Jabu Barnard, he's our co-host this week and uh, time to get to the ta- uh, goal scorers, Tyron. Let's have a look at the women's first because they're on top of my pile here, the uh, famous research. Um, what have we got? Goal scorers, top of the table. She hasn't played for a little while. It's Olivia Merry. She's st- still sitting up there with eight goals, five from the field, one penalty corner, uh, two penalty corners and a penalty stroke. I'm sure she'll be getting a chance to add to that again very shortly. Second place is uh, Frederick Matla from the Netherlands. She scored three from the field and a stroke and a penalty corner for a total of five. And then there's a host of players on four goals. So we haven't got an outright top three. Uh, Giselle Ansley, Savannah Fitzpatrick, Hannah Gablack, Alex Gurniers, Juliet, uh, Jan Kunis, uh, who else? Grace Stewart. She's up there on four goals as well, as is Kaya Van Mansaka. On to the, oh, before we go to the men, that's a total, Tyron, of 147 goals across 42 games for an average of 3.5 goals per game. So that's been steady for quite a while now for the girls. That's um, decent. Yeah, 82 goals out of those 147 from the field at 55%. Uh, I'd like to see him get some more field goals, but if you're scoring them from penalty corners, you might as well keep scoring them from penalty corners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Look, I think there's just from a, a viewership point of view, we're obviously far more excited by field goals from penalty corners. Uh, it just makes good watching. They make a better replay, that's for sure, I think. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. 
Onto the men, we mentioned him before, it's Pau Kamada. He's out there on top with, uh, I think he's got five goals himself and he's pinched three for a total of eight. That's uh, seven field goals, a penalty corner and no penalty strokes. Phil Roper from Great Britain is in second place. He's on six goals with uh, five field goals and a penalty corner. And then two, three players in third place, uh, Meso Casella from Argentina. He's picked up five. Uh, two penalty corners and two penalty strokes along with a field goal. Matthias Paredes from Argentina, five field goals. And Sam Ward from Great Britain has picked up three from corners and a couple of field goals to be on five as well. The men have scored a total of 167 goals from 31 games, a little bit less than the women because they're not those Pakistan games, of course, aren't in there. That's why the difference in games is so much between the two competitions 118 goals from the field that's going at about 70% just on 70% so 5.38 goals per game still quite a high uh, number of goals per game there I think that might increase as the uh, sorry decrease as the uh, competition goes on a little bit we've seen uh, the odd game recently be high scoring but um, mostly they're starting to get a lot tighter in defence, the men's side of the competition. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, in those early weeks, people were still adjusting to the travel schedules and the differences of uh, of tournaments. Um, I, I think it would be uh, only natural to, to see the defences tightening up and the tactics probably bringing the goal down, goal count down a little bit. Okay, let's have a look at the tables now, because it is actually starting to get a little bit closer together as far as games played, etc. It is. The men are still a little way off, uh, partly because of the loss of Pakistan games, uh, but they're heading into the European leg. On top of the table is Australia. They've risen up from third place last week on the back of their win against Argentina. Uh, Belgium are still in second place. They've done nothing, so they stay where they are. <laughs> they just keep second. Great Britain are the losers there. They've dropped back down to third place following their loss, uh, their draw, shootout loss to uh, Spain. The Netherlands are still sitting in fourth position. Uh, they've only played seven games, though. They've got a few to go. Great Britain, too, have um, only played the six games whereas Australia have played the nine. Belgium in second place have only played four games. Uh, Argentina in fifth place at the moment. Germany in sixth, having played seven games, so they've got a few in hand. Spain, seventh place, ten games, no wins. They're only going at 33%. That's not going to get you in the top four. And New Zealand, unfortunately, they're well and truly cooked at 7.4%, no wins. And uh, only two shootout losses for their uh, their season of nine games so far. Uh, yeah, it's been a tough, tough season for New Zealand. It, it has indeed. There's been a bit of tumult in New Zealand hockey mm. of late, which will keep for the reverse stick at some yeah. point. But, um, you know, it's not like they've played bad hockey, though. I can't look at New Zealand, the men's side, and go, well, they're terrible. Um they're not far off it. That's the thing about international yeah. hockey. You only have to be a little bit off and man, it all blows out the window. Uh, we've seen that, unfortunately, from our side before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's sad for them. But at the top of the table, we talked about Australia. You mentioned uh, Belgium. They, they 
plenty of games in hand there. They're going at 80% at the moment. If they go for the rest of the season at 80%, they're definite top one or two, you'd think. Uh, the Netherlands are at 57% in fourth place, and Great Britain, they've only played six games, but, and, and had four wins. Well, I still don't feel filled with confidence by them. Um, Germany, I've only played the seven games. Uh, they could potentially sneak up with a couple of timely wins. It's nothing's entirely set yet. Oh, there's no no definite pattern starting to fall. Yeah, no, and I think uh, you know the likes of Germany and Belgium will will call on a lot of the superstars for their running uh, with the league play coming to an end. Great Britain as well. Yeah. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Germany's second half of the the year has a much better points uh, tally than the first half. Um, I would be shocked if Netherlands don't uh, get a few good results in. Yeah, I know Belgium, I mean, 80% is maybe a tough one to carry on because they're going to have a little bit of a tougher uh, fixture list to try and get through. But, uh, yeah, if you if you look at all those teams, um, I think... Uh, Argentina might have a little bit too much to do, and uh, you're looking at your top four coming from the four Europeans and Australia. Yeah. Well, you've got to have Australia in there. It just keeps those Europeans honest, mate. You know. <laughs> yeah. Look, look. The the African team that were invited to Pro League are sitting in ninth, but that's probably where we would have sat anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, it's it's only good for hockey if there's not one continent dominating a tournament. It's it becomes a little bit boring if it's always Europe and always the same thing. Oh, un- undoubtedly, and that's why I think one of the, the things that Pro League has got to be spread as far and wide across the world as possible, and um, it, even as possible as far as the fixturing goes, it, which is going to be a big, big ask for anybody. You know, it's it's not going to be an easy task. It's it's going to be ridiculously difficult, I think. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we know we are in a sport that doesn't have uh, have the the oodles of cash that a, a football or a rugby or a cricket have. Yeah. Um, and you know, to run the greatest international league, we'd probably have a, in my opinion, it would be great with a two or three tier system. But can you imagine the cost of that? Oh. Traveling teams around the world uh, just wouldn't be tangible. No, it wouldn't be. Let's get on to the men's table. Oh, sorry, the women's table. We've done the men. And, um, well, as many would have expected, Netherlands is sitting out on top at the moment. They've uh, played eight games with a percentage of 87%. Now, the women's is uh, far closer together at this stage in the number of games played. Argentina are, are sitting in second place, and they've played just about the most number of games. They've played 11, but they're going at 81.8% with seven wins. Belgium in third place. Now, they've only played six games, but they've had four wins. They're going at 72%. And they've had a couple of wins as well that people didn't expect. They're playing very, very good hockey at the moment, Belgium. And I th- I can see them keeping their position in the uh, in the top four. Australia are probably the most vulnerable team there because they've played ten games. They've had five wins. They're going at 60%, so they're going to need to try and get that percentage up as they travel through Europe and take on some of these teams that have played a lesser amount of games to them, such as Germany, who is in fifth place. They're at 58%. 
but they've got two games in hand on Australia. Uh, New Zealand are in sixth place. They've played 11 games. I don't think they're going to pick up any more points, in all honesty, or enough points to get there. Travelling at 36% at the moment, and all those games have been at home. Uh, Great Britain versus China. Oh, sorry, Great Britain is in has played eight games. They're in seventh position, travelling at 29%. Very much a rebuilding phase for Great Britain, I would think, um, and probably looking to get through to the Olympics on a world ranking that England has. Um, and come the Olympics, they could be a very, very good team. I think they've got a nucleus of a very good team. It's just not all come together yet. Uh, China, eighth position, and the United States at the bottom. Uh, both of the plucky yet lacking a touch of class teams at the foot of the table. Yeah, look, this table is, I mean, in the men's, you almost feel like there's really five teams playing for four spots. And here in the women's, there's, it's a much tighter thing. I mean, I think even Great Britain still have uh, enough fixtures that they can cause a few a few waves. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think like you, I think uh, New Zealand are probably probably going to miss it, along with China and the United States. I think Germany are going to improve. I think Australia are going to struggle to maintain a 60% with the fixtures that they have. Yeah. Um, but if they can pick up a win here or there, you know, then they will find themselves in the top four. Belgium, for me, you know, the unknown quantity when it comes to women's hockey. And they've done really well so far. But again, they've still got more than half of their fixtures left can they keep this momentum that they started? I, you know, I, I honestly can't answer that because I don't know enough about uh, the Belgian ladies' side. But yeah, I think, and obviously the two top dogs are, are sitting right where they usually sit um, <laughs> in first and second, and I would be surprised if they didn't finish in the top two. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Argentina's got a lot of games coming up in Europe, but they're good mm. enough to pick up, you know, they'll finish second or third, you'd think. And the Netherlands just keep rolling along, don't they? Chug, 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 yeah. chug. <laughs> I mean, it's almost it's almost a little bit like watching, uh, you know, a Manchester City in soccer. They just you just keep thinking maybe this is the game that will test them, and they get out with a win. This game will test them, they get out with a win, and they just are a class above. And look, anybody that uh, gets wins against them, that's uh, a great feather in the cap for yeah. the players and the coach. Yeah, well. Uh, they played eight, had seven wins, and the, the one loss came down here in Australia very early in the season, very, very early. But that'll give the Australians some heart too. They know they can take it to the top teams. <laughs> so, you know. I, I don't see why the Australians shouldn't back themselves to um, uh, to sneak into the top four. I think uh, they've got to be better than they were in Argentina. I think they've got to take their chances a lot better. But as I said, they, they've got the United States next, which... You know, on paper, you'd say is a, a win, and then next game after that is China. You know, if they can get wins from both of those, that's six points. That's going to push their percentage up. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, then they're also making other teams nervous, and and once again, points on the board, highly valuable. Yeah, exactly. By the time they play, sorry, by the time they play Netherlands, they probably could know that they, in the top four or not, because. I think it's their last or second last game. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the last weekend, actually. Yeah, before the finals. That mm. last weekend in June, we've got a. Uh, can I, can I copyright a hashtag? Hashtag last weekend in June. I'll get in before the FIH does. Yeah, let's do it. 
listening to Totally Pro League. I'm your host, John Lee. Tyron Barnard is our co-host this week on Totally Pro League. And time now to ask Tyron exactly what he thinks about the Pro League. What have you made of it so far? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, let's let's start with the, the bad. And, uh, you know, <laughs> bearing in mind that in my... Uh, other in my other career away from hockey, I am a numbers person. I really don't like the difference in games played being so so muddled across. I, I also always like a points table that is a points table, not a percentage table. Um, and I understand why they did it, but you know, there's just something about being in second place like Belgium or with only 12 points when other teams have more points. It just my mind doesn't settle on that. Um, the other thing, obviously, uh, here in South Africa, from a time zone point of view, uh, the games in Argentina and the games in Australia, if played in the wrong times of the day, were quite difficult to watch. Obviously, I'm looking forward to the the European games now because <laughs> of uh, a timing point of view. And obviously, the last negative that I would say is, you know, I understand the financial constraints, but it is really disappointing for me that we have something as superb as this, without all the continents represented on it. Um, so I think that's that's the bad things that I wanted to say. And, and obviously from a South African point of view, I would have loved us to be involved. But if we couldn't, you know, maybe in Egypt or a Ghana or, or somebody, because it just feels like the African continent is just falling further behind by, by being left out once again. Well, Egypt does have quite a strong club culture going on too. I mean, they're they're a pretty good team. They're not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, uh, I remember watching. It was at the last African Confederations Cup, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, <laughs> they'd be competitive against most international nations. Sure, maybe the Dutch and the Australians would touch them up, but you know, against most other nations, they'd put up a good fight. Well, and when you go and look at the table, and, and you see uh, a New Zealand and a Spain. Those are really teams that South Africa and Egypt would compete with normally. Yeah. But the opportunity that the two are having is just going to put them that step ahead of us and, and it's just going to make it tougher and tougher going forward. Yeah, but I think a challenge before the tournament started, uh, and obviously we've set our pieces uh, on that. So more importantly, uh, man, I, I love that I can log on to FIH Pro or FIH, FIH Live and provided it's working because uh, no one here in South Africa is covering. Uh, and I'll say this, it's worked most of the time for me. I, I haven't had significant problems there. I mean, occasionally I don't have commentary, but that's that's okay. I, I love that I'm able to watch so much hockey. I'm able to follow a, a structured league and there's less um, meaningless internationals. Um, you know, that the players are starting to become more household names. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, there are a bunch of South African umpires that are benefiting from it brilliantly. I mean, we got Sean Rappaport, we got um, Peter Wright, Dion Nell, Michelle Hubert. So I, I, I think overall, the Pro League is definitely something that's been for the good of hockey. Um, yes, there's, there's areas that could improve, but uh, overall, man... I think it's been great, and I, and I think it's going to motivate a lot of kids uh, to strive towards the top echelons of the game uh, in the future. Yeah, I, I, I do think it's it, the hockey's been fantastic. I mean, the, the stuff that's happened on the field has mm. just been 
brilliant to watch. We've had a couple of games that perhaps weren't classics, but they've been intriguing for hockey followers to watch them. Uh, most of the time, though, they've been highly entertaining games. Uh, I would like to see a little bit more consistency in the presentation of the product across the globe. I think it, perhaps a little bit too much has been left to individual uh, associations or nations to organise and, and with no clear direction of what should be done or what sh- is expected to be done. Um, that's one criticism I would have of that. Well, not criticism, a suggestion for the future. Take more control of of your product. Yeah, I, I can I can uh, agree with that. I think uh, it's a potential. Yeah, I think once you now go to Europe, I think the the quality of the product in Australia was fairly good. Once you go to Europe, once again, you're going to have much bigger teams that are used to uh, covering hockey, used to sharing hockey, and and I think we will see an improved quality of product. But you're right, why can't it be a consistent quality of product? Yeah, I mean, um, simple things like stats. Um, for some games, you don't get stats. For some, Great Britain, all of the games you get stats. Germany... Holland, no stats. China, no stats. Argentina, no stats. Australia, you're getting stats from. Just little things like that. If you're going to have stats, they should be there for every team, for every game, or just don't have them at all. Yeah, of course. If you want to be seen as the elite tournament, and, and again, I think you know Thierry Wavell is uh, from from football, so let's compare it with your top football competitions and uh, let's compare it to a Premier League, a Champions League, or even a uh, the World Cup. Yeah. You would never, ever, at any of those tournaments, see coverage available on one that is not available on others. And so it's definitely a a point that they they do need to bring through consistency because it's ultimately just going to improve your product uh, your product completely. And it also comes back to things I were talking before about umpires seeing vision that we're not seeing and the viewer being left up in the air because what they've seen is totally inconclusive. How can that person make that decision based on what we've seen? <laughs> the little things like that that change the experience for the viewer, especially for those viewers outside our sport. Uh, I can only agree with that. I think uh, if you if you showed someone from outside the sport the, the Great Britain um, disallowed yeah. goal they're going to look at that and say ah, you guys need to get your ducks in a row <laughs> this is so confusing this is how do you follow this yeah and truth truth of the matter is sometimes we don't ourselves it's <laughs> true you also you, we, you mentioned earlier though about players reactions of neither of those uh those what we see as a contentious umpire decision the, the players show much uh you know they sort of question what's going on but no one said oh you've got that wrong and got huffy about any of the decisions that were made no absolutely so obviously in the long run it probably was the right call yeah because uh you can you you can tell so much by a player's reaction and um yeah i mean uh, was it Ward? I think it was for uh, for Great Britain. Yeah. And he asked the question, "Why was it disallowed?" When he was told, he said, "Okay." He moved on. And he just moved on. Time for us to move on too, Tyron, because uh, we're going to break some new 
totally pro league length records here if we don't get going pretty soon. Keely was going to blow it right out. Uh, only two games on this weekend. Um, both of them involving the USA. Both women's games then, of course. Uh, the first up on Friday at uh, 7 p.m. local time there at Spooky Nuke. And it's Australia versus the USA. And then again on um, the Sunday at uh, 6pm, it's Australia, it's the USA versus Argentina. Unfortunately, those games for me are 7am on Saturday and 6am on, on Monday morning. So uh, I'm playing Saturday so you afternoon. you might not be watching them. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be up at 7am on Saturday morning somehow. <laughs> Monday I might scrape through for, but we'll see how we go. Um Big games for both of those. Two. Well, certainly for Australia, that's going to be a big game. Argentina, um, they wouldn't want to drop it. For the USA, a lot of pride on stake at home. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, for the USA, if they if they get anything out of these two games, they'd be pretty happy. Um, that being said, I don't think they'd be satisfied if they got nothing out of it. Playing at home. Having watched Argentina and Australia play last weekend and, and neither one really looked top, top quality, uh, I think USA would be looking at this as an opportunity to to get some points on the board and, you know, maybe to impress their, their sponsors or fans back at home. But in truth, I, I can't see anything other than two away wins. Yeah, I, I think that's how those games are going to go as well. And... Um... <laughs> You know, I'd hate to see Australia thump the US on the Friday. I think that might be just a bit too demoralising for them when they came up against Argentina. I'm really hoping we get a close, tight game on the Friday and that might give the American girls, a, well, a bit, little bit of confidence because Argentina have stitched them up previously in in recent years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think anyone wants to really see a, a team playing at home. Absolutely, given a a hiding on a silver plate. I think, you know, for the good of the game, you don't want that. Yeah. Um, it, it's really difficult as well to fire up players 24 hours after a, a bruising defeat. And as such, I think um, if Australia could be nice and just get a <laughs> A two or three goal win. <laughs> it probably sets up a, a much more entertaining game on on the Sunday, on, on Monday slash Sunday. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, this could be a real banana skin game for Australia. This could be one that maybe if you you're looking ahead and you're thinking, oh well, that that's the easy game between China and and you know Argentina will just stop off there, and you know these things can sometimes do funny things to players' heads. Oh, absolutely. I think this is. You know, <laughs> this is one of those games that on paper you look at it and you say, yep, this one is uh, one of the wins that we need in the running. Yeah. Uh, and that's dangerous because uh, you can very, very easily get into a situation where complacency kicks in, the tiredness from the travel starts hitting, um, the homesickness hits, and an early goal for USA, then all of a sudden Australia are chasing a game. Uh, you know, it's a very different uh, mentality straight away then. Well, Tyron, thanks for your time tonight. Just before we do go, though, you, 
we got to get you to spruik up hockey 24-7. What's coming up? What's available? Tell us all about the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had a, a great recording last week. Um, we recorded with the new men's coach, Gareth Ewing. Um, he's uh, selected his first squad for the hockey series final in Bumaneswa, back at the home of the World Cup. Um, and really, really great chat with him about his plans and the challenges that he faces. Um, so, so that's up, that'll go up on, on Monday or Tuesday next week. We've also got a chat with Jethro Eustace, who was the indoor player of the year coming up a little bit after that. And, uh, we'll be trying, testing some new ground in March this year. Uh, sorry, in May, end of May. And um, we're going down to Durban, uh, coastal, coastal province here. Yep. And, um, we'll be doing live podcasting, uh, for the SA Botswana and SA Zimbabwe indoor hockey. There will be, at, at present, there will be no video streaming, but there will be live audio streaming where Excellent. we basically commentate the game. So oh, great. we'll be trying that, see how it goes, um, and see if there's uh, an appetite, and we'll, we'll go from there. I'm a big fan of audio commentary. I love audio commentary, so I'll be, I'll be tuning in, Tyron. I wish you the best for that. I look forward oh, to thanks it. Thanks very much. Thank you. Yeah, and look, uh, fortunately, I've got Derek with me uh, is a, a renowned uh, commentator here in South Africa for other sports, uh, for rugby and cricket, so I've got him into hockey now. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well done. He will steer the ship, and yeah, it'll, it'll be a good adventure. Uh, special comments, man, Tyron. Uh, there we go. <laughs> well done. Look, thanks for joining me once again. It's been a pleasure to have you on talking about hockey. Uh, always great to have you with us, and uh, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yeah, John, thanks very much, and uh, enjoy the, the party games over the weekend. Will do. Thanks, Tyron. Cool. Cheers, mate.